1: He turns. He
2: fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer.
0: back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting
1: five for y'all.
2: Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I'm James Hammond, King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. Joining me, Fox 40's Sean Cunningham. Sean, what's going on? Nothing like
1: doing a podcast on a Saturday. Here we are. <laughs> I like it. Here. Um, it's uh, good times. Like This is, uh, I think, what we were we were talking about just a few weeks ago. Like Things are feeling good in the city, and you know what? The sun is out, so. It's good times right now. This is what Very we're waiting for. Yep, we gotta, I,
2: like, it. Yeah, it's a bright light coming in the side window here, uh, and I can see the the sun out on the lake. It looks beautiful. Um, okay, and of course, uh, Brendan Nunes from the King's Pulse podcast is joining us. Brendan, how are you?
0: Doing good. It wouldn't be a King's Beat podcast if we didn't talk about the weather at the beginning, so I'm glad that we checked that box. Um, <laughs> I am doing good uh, yesterday's game was was pretty eventful and some big takeaways so
2: excited yeah, to talk about it. it it we definitely have a, a lot to talk about it's one of those games that um, sort of shines a light on on the progress of a specific player and and I think that that's really it's cool we'll we'll dive deep into this one um, thanks for joining us here uh, I know the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and Uh, Kansas City Chiefs are about to kick off, which everyone is clearly glued to. Um, And, of course, the Sacramento Kings take on the Philadelphia 76ers later this evening. And the injury report is kind of wonky for the Philadelphia 76ers. Out of nowhere, uh, James Harden and Joel Embiid are now listed as questionable, uh, both with uh, injury management issues uh and i don't know i i don't think the kings care whether they're there or not they'd like to get a win and uh that would be tremendous if uh they can actually go out and pick up their seventh straight victory um let's let's get take care of some business uh number one if you're watching on youtube and you don't mind can you give us a thumbs up uh we'll ask a couple of times throughout the day uh we'll probably be on for about an hour Um, But uh, also, uh, if you're not a subscriber to The King's Beat, please do become a subscriber on YouTube here. uh, And go to thekingsbeat.com and subscribe to the newsletter uh, slash blog uh, where you can get all the latest information on Sacramento Kings. Also, you get the emails delivered directly to your box so you don't have to search for us every day. Um, Also, we will have a happy hour uh, next Thursday. We have not announced a guest yet. I'm still working on that. Um, but, uh, fingers crossed, it'll be a good one. And, uh, you know, we'll let you know as soon as I have it locked down. I I never like, uh, to put out there, who's going to be on the King's beat virtual happy hours until we actually have them 100% guaranteed. (laughs) And we're like three days before, because that stops people from backing out the last second. Um, not that that's been an issue, but uh, I always like to be safe rather than sorry. Um, all right, guys, uh, let's get to this, um, Six straight wins. Eight games over 500. Third place in the Western Conference. Are, are we still, like, sort of confused about what's happening here? What do you got, Sean?
1: Well, I'd like to point out it's their second six-game win streak of the season. Yeah. Um, that's that, that alone is uh, pretty impressive, and they're doing it in a way where they're capitalizing off of um, some lesser opponents. But at this point right now in the season, I don't think it matters. I mean, here you have... Uh, a streaking Oklahoma City Thunder team that's come, that came in, and none of that mattered. Um, you've got the Sixers rolling in, and they're playing. They're undefeated on their road trip. They're playing very well, and whether you've got Harden and Embiid playing in that game or not, that shouldn't matter. They're, I mean, they'll go out there and um, play three games and four nights all at home and and take advantage of the schedule, and again, I don't even think that matters. We've seen them play well on the road. We've seen them struggle at times, and I think they've built up I like to call the equity um, now eight games over 500. I didn't think, I don't think, I don't know if any of us thought, I certainly didn't think that that would happen at any point in season. So uh, it's a really large accomplishment for this team, uh, for a team with a brand new head coach that starts the season with a lot of new guys. And they've built not only the chemistry, but people have bought into roles. Um, they've uh, they have an approach to each game where Uh, it's methodical. It's thought out. It, 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 they've got a game plan. It's a, um, professional approach. It's not laid back. It's, uh, Professional, like I, I keep harping on that a lot. The details are there in every single um, game, uh, in every single practice, and I think it all kind of starts with Mike Brown. I really do. Um, I think he's really kind of. I don't like to use the word change the culture because I don't think the culture was necessarily a bad thing here. Um, I just think it's it's. You had a good culture. You had a, cult, a a good locker room full of guys, and all of a sudden, it took Mike Brown to really show them what it was like to be professional athletes, um, for some of these players, because a lot of them came in from other situations, understanding what roles and what basketball was all about in the NBA. Um, but I still think it needed, there were some here that, that didn't quite know structure and discipline the way that it is, And I think it's paying off in, in big, big ways right now. And it's fun to see.
2: Yeah. I, I'm going to take a couple of those notes on a couple of things you said, but Brendan, uh, we'll get back to that in a sec, but Brendan, like, what are your thoughts
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that Mike Brown has obviously done a phenomenal job with this team as good as anybody could have expected. But the Kings are are rolling right now. I'm really hesitant to believe, to be honest. Um, I look at teams below them and think that eventually teams will go streaking and maybe they'll end up passing the Kings. But with each passing game, like I believe more and more, especially beating like OKC is not a great team, but I think that they were playing well as of late we heard Kevin Herter talk about it in shoot around prior to the game how I think it was seven of eight they had won and he talked about how good their offensive and defense had been um, leading into this game I think this game against Philly and then the game that you'll get against Memphis and Toronto will teach you a lot about this team but I, I think I'm starting to believe more and more that maybe this is a team that doesn't even have to go through the play like I know we're sitting at three and maybe I'm late to this train but like Like I said, I'm still hesitant, I guess. And it's just doing it in different ways, right? The biggest takeaway from yesterday's game has to be Keegan Murray, obviously. But it is funny to me that I say that while it's a night that DeMontis Sabonis had 18, 14, and and 14. Like, he did what he usually does, which is have a superstar performance. De'Aaron Fox also had 25, 2, and 4. And the big takeaway is Keegan Murray. Like, I, I think that just says so much about the depth of this team.
2: Yeah, I, I want to talk about something that that Sean brought up there, and Tyler says it here in the in the chat. Um, like, what the culture was terrible. Um, you know what? Like, as someone like Sean and I have been around this team for a long time, we've seen terrible locker rooms, we've seen terrible culture, we've seen bad situations, and like last year, I didn't think it. Like, that's why I think we were so many of us were so surprised that the team was that bad. Like, sure, we didn't think that they would be, like, world beaters, but, like, they the fact that they were losing by, like, 45 points and stuff like that or, you know, having these games that were just so horrible and that Luke Weldon got fired, like, 17 games into the season, that was a horrible situation, but it still wasn't a bad locker room. And, like, again, we've seen bad cultural things. I think it was really hard to put your finger on what was missing. And, like, you just want to keep saying, oh, well, it's this or it's that. And, like, I think realistically what was missing was, uh, like, the details, like Sean talked about, accountability, accountability to each other. And, you know, some guys that weren't there for the right reasons but still weren't bad guys. That, like, because we've seen bad guys. And so I, I think it's an interesting thought, that, you know, that, that the culture was just horrible. but. Like I don't, I don't know, Sean. Am I off base with that? Like- no,
1: you're not, and I don't, I don't blame Tyler for what he's saying because you know you hear of losing cultures, but as Elmir uh, points out in the chat here just now, he says, yeah, you can have good culture and still be a losing basketball team. Now you can call it a losing culture, but I think one of the the worst things that can happen, and this isn't culture, is when apathy sets in. And yes. it, when you hear people say that uh, in the, within the walls of the organization, and I think Luke Walton would say it publicly, it was like, "Hey, you know what? Uh, we could be, you know, on a six game win streak or a six game losing streak, and you wouldn't know it because the vibe, it, it, the, all the vibes are good, and um, the you know everyone's harmonious, and, and you know they still everyone still gets along, and that's fine. Like that that's that's kind of why I, I cringe when people say it was a bad culture because. Culture insinuates something different than a win-loss record to me. Um, so I think it's on how you define it, and that's that's kind of the point I was making, was I think it's easy for people to say, oh, you have to change the culture, you have to change the culture. It's, to me, it's cliche, because that's not what needed to change habits needed to change culture and habits are different. So that's just the way I define it. Um, everyone's different, but, but, um, I have seen plenty of losing basketball teams where the culture was absolute shit. And I've seen losing uh, culture. I've seen losing teams where the culture is great. I've actually seen winning teams where the culture needed to be changed. So, uh, it's, it's, it's different, you know, it's, it's definitely different. I would use it more as a chemistry tool, as a, um, uh, beyond wins and losses, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, and I think that Oklahoma City, who we we watched the Kings beat last night, is a very good example of what should be a losing culture, but it's not a bad culture. What they're establishing there, you can see it. Like, okay, they play hard. They play hard for 48 minutes. It doesn't matter if they're down 12. It doesn't matter if they're down 8. They're going to keep coming at you, and it's something that I distinctly remember watching from the Memphis Grizzlies like 3 years ago as they started to establish them their culture and even if they weren't winning every night man they would foul you down 10 with with like 82 seconds left in the game they just keep fouling you and they would make you play out that entire stretch every single game and they you know sometimes it equated to a sneaky win and i think what they're trying to do is is build this this different feeling around the team we don't give up. We don't give in. We're going to play hard each and every night. We're going to be lunch pail guys. And every once in a while you get blown out. That happens. But um, I, I think it's it's interesting to watch a team that is clearly a year or two behind where the Kings are right now. And whether they can get there or not, who knows, because, you know, like you, they don't have DeMontis Sabonis on their team. Uh, they do have Shea, who's really, really good. But um, yeah, I I don't know, it, it's weird to kind of see how this is panning out for the Kings this year because uh, they've taken a culture that I don't think was bad, but they've instilled something that's completely different, and it's, it's taking off for them. And it's kind of like the, the feel-good story of the season in the NBA, and it's becoming more and more of a story because of the eight games over 500. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Brendan, you haven't had like the, uh, the perspective that me and Sean have where, we've been around for so long that we're, we're always waiting, you know, we have Stockholm syndrome. We're always waiting for something bad to happen. We're always just kind of accepting that something bad will happen. Where, where are you at with that? Because I, I think it does provide a different perspective.
0: I mean, I think that winning obviously helps and it's a lot easier to buy into your roles, for example, which I think is a big part of each individual person playing their part in a good culture. It's a lot easier to buy into those roles when, you're seeing uh, the, the rewards of it with winning games. And I think that helps. I, I think that the coaching staff, from my perspective, communicates with players well. And I think that the players take it well. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, I, I guess my, my question I would throw to you guys is, like, how do you define culture? Is it the, the way that, like like I'm saying, the way people are communicating with each other? Is it the general... For lack of a better term, like vibe around the team, or, or how do you define what culture is?
1: Hmm.
2: Okay, so I, I think didn't I just to... do that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> for me, I, I thought I just did that, but I, I, to me, it's not a win-loss thing. It's a. It's it's yeah. more of a chemistry. It's more of a, um, you know, like individual work habits as opposed to as opposed to like, all right, here's the team. They're going to practice from, you know, 11 to four or whatever that looks like. And then what do you do away from that time? You know, um, it, those types of things when you're encouraging bad habits, if there if there's um, encouraging of bad behaviors, things like that. And then it really comes down to your players. I think there's a, you know, you can have a um, a mindset of what you think it's like to to be a professional. And then you have, you know, Obviously, the the, the biggest thing is is chemistry, I think. So um, enabling of bad behaviors, things like that. Like, again, I've seen organizations be really, really awful. You know, to take it to a baseball standpoint, like when the – obviously, you know, winning helps um, cure a lot of these quote-unquote culture things. But, you know, you look at the Giants when they went through this dynasty uh, just a decade ago. And 2010, 2012, 2014, uh, a lot of the pieces remained the same the chemistry within that clubhouse was incredible but it started at the top I mean you had a a very like the Warriors you know the Warriors have such an amazing culture and and they could be a losing basketball team but everyone knows what's expected of them every like all the time and I think when you see people who like in sports especially in basketball you've seen moments where all right People try to break plays to try to do everything themselves. People try to play hero ball. People try, you know, or they just apathy sets in, or they just don't have a a lack of, they don't have that care anymore. They don't know what it's like to be a professional athlete. They don't know how to let a loss go. Um, You know, they take losses hard. They, you know, you have to. I think it starts with enabling or getting those roles and understanding roles, right? But it starts at the top where everyone is on the same page. You have got. These little gimmicks that Mike Brown has has brought in, I think that in that emboldens the culture that you have. Um, but he's done things that, again, it's not necessarily a change in culture because these guys all got along. These guys all have um, the right approach to what they want to do. It's it's kind of hard to explain, but but what I'm what I'm saying is it's more of a behavioral thing than a wins loss thing.
2: Yeah, this is how I would describe it, too, because I think it leads to the larger discussion of what we saw happen last night, what we've seen over the last, like, seven games, right? So, like, I I know, Sean, you've noticed it. I, I, I believe Brendan has noticed it. But there have been so many times this season where I've watched Demontis Sabonis get very frustrated with Keegan Murray and yell at Keegan Murray on the court, pull him aside, have words with him. Uh, and of course Keegan sits there with like a straight face and doesn't say anything. Right. Um, that's not the first time that there's been a player that plays for the Sacramento Kings that plays a center position that is yelled and screamed at his teammates. But the way in which Sabonis does it is in a big brother way. It's in a put an arm around him and demand excellence, change the expectations of what Keegan Murray has in his head, show him where he's, failing in a in a specific way and then try to make him better and i think what we're seeing is like the progress of a player that you know we always forget that keegan's a rookie and and that he's going to make mistakes and all this stuff but um but he's supposed to be nba ready so you're like okay why isn't he better at this or that then we have this moment where mike brown goes way off script i i thought for mike brown's personality from what we've seen from mike brown all season long and even in the past like he called out keegan murray and it, it just happened to be like seven games ago against the lakers called him out for having zero rebounds what we've seen from that moment on from keegan murray is a player who is being held accountable who now understands the assignment who's not making excuses that he has the best rebounder in the league playing next to him, and I thought he had all the rebounds, Uh, who's taking ownership of the fact that he averaged 8.7 rebounds per game in college, and he's made a concerted effort to change what he's doing. And we see it play out with a a 29.14 rebound game, which is just stellar. But I'll tell you, the reason why he had 29 points is because he had 14 rebounds. It was this the shift and who and what he should be. And Keegan Murray all of a sudden looked like Keegan Murray, the college player. He all of a sudden looked like Keegan Murray, the Sacramento Kings MVP during Summer League. He looked like who he should be. And you're like, oh, man, that's got to be like a breath of fresh air for Monty McNair and for Kings fans because you're going from, man, should you really like speed up the process here and possibly dangle Keegan Murray at the trade deadline Or do you now see that he could be the player that you thought he would be and not a guy averaging three rebounds a game at six foot eight starting at power forward? And that's just unacceptable. And so, like, I think that's where I would like the cultural shift. We're seeing it with one specific incident, but it's him being held accountable by multiple people. And that's just not something that we've seen here in Sacramento. And and in the past, what we've seen is a very good player, a great player, take down those players and break them down to where maybe they're not even in the league anymore. Maybe they're not even good basketball players anymore because you broke the spirit of somebody and we're seeing a change where all of a sudden somebody is is doing some of that, but he's building up as he's tearing down. And it's that, to me, is where I see the cultural shift.
1: I like also that it that a lot of those accountability factors because like you mentioned they're holding themselves accountable. Uh, I think that has that began years ago as well. But it, it's different when it's someone like Sabonis, someone who's in their prime, who has already been an all star in this in this league and is doing it from a from a standpoint of tough love, uh, wanting you to do better, want to see you succeed. And I always mention that. Like, Sabonis is the ultimate unifier. He's out there touching everybody. You know, he wants to high-five everybody. He, he's an uplifter, right? Not negative energy, but he can be when, it, when it's necessary to hold you accountable. That's different than having someone like a superstar at the end of his career, like a Vince Carter, Zach Randolph, things like that. Uh, those things help, and I think those will help change the culture in Sacramento. So that's why I don't feel like from one year to the next, like, some flip switched or some switch flipped and all of a sudden the culture has changed just because they've, they've shown to be a winning basketball team at the moment. Um, and, and it's also not people who hold themselves accountable where the guy can look at them and says, well, what have you done in this league? Because you're, you're, you're brand new to it just like I am. Um, so those are those that's to me, that's a huge, huge reason where, you know, it didn't necessarily, it, it's great when it is someone like Sabonis, but it started, years ago where you can hold yourself accountable in spite some of those things you know you can you can and then all it takes is you know a change in in the call in the coaching staff to be able to have the right people around you to encourage that type of behavior and know that that's just not something that you now have learned to hold yourself accountable for and you can just you know, circle that where something went wrong, and we'll point out all your all the things that you've done wrong. We're also pointing out things you've done right. But now you've we've emboldened you to take it amongst yourselves to be able to do it. You know, so I I kind of like I kind of like where a lot of that's going. Um, I think this looks to be a professional basketball team, and there's been many years where that just has not been the case.
0: I agree. Yes. Accountability is definitely the word that stands out. I think we saw it with Domas specifically. Uh, last year even like right away when when he was brought to the team there was that possession where he was boxing out like two guys at once and nobody on his team ended up grabbing the rebound and he instantly got on them and I think he'd only been there a couple games at that point and you you've seen that continue into this year like Keegan talked about it post-game James mentioned it a bit Um, that Keegan said like Domas has yelled at me a lot this year and it, it's it's all productive and for the right reasons. And I think that that's important. Like De'Aaron is somebody that leads by example, but I think having those vocal guys and players that respond well to their communication is really important. Like Sabonis is clearly that, um, I think that Mike Brown and other members of the coaching staff clearly fall into that. And I, I think that that's been a absolutely huge aspect of this season. I think that Trey Lyles was one of the better examples of coach, um, kind of optimizing a player and in that healthy communication when it came to not pump faking or getting more rebounds and then keegan last night was a perfect example as well because it's not only the rebounding that james pointed out but it's also the finishing like coach had mentioned before go dunk on someone quit quit double clutching and in all these layups like i think the quote earlier in the year was don't give cats in this league respect they don't deserve and Keegan, I think had multiple dunks last night. At least one of them was kind of a sloppy handle, but then he ended up throwing it down in traffic over two or three people. Like we we've seen last night was such a great example in multiple areas where Keegan has made progress that he was clearly asked to make progress and from the coaching staff and, and other players on his team.
2: Yeah. I even I'll go back to the Lakers game a couple of days earlier where Um, There was a play where Keegan got the ball. He he fought for a rebound that was on the ground in the middle of the key. And then he just went up and hammered it down over everybody. And I was like, where in the world did that come from? Who is that guy? And how do you bottle that? And I, I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, like, the Kings have pushed him to come out of his shell. And it's not just, like, that he's so quiet and... Like, he, he doesn't want to put his personality out there, but you're pushing him to come out of his basketball shell because he has played timid at times. He has been very comfortable just running around the perimeter and just shooting three-pointers. And he mentioned it last night, too. Like, the next step for him is to be a playmaker and not just for others, but for himself. Like, to go out and do something. Like, I was watching Iowa just a few minutes ago with his brother Chris. That guy took someone right off the dribble, went right to the basket, and I'm like, hey, look at that. And it, it's crazy because you're literally watching Keegan Murray on the screen. I mean, they're identical. You can't even tell the difference between them at all. Um, except for, uh, you know, one is is bulked up a bit playing in the pros. But you can already see the difference when you look at Chris and then you look at Keegan. You're like, oh, yeah, Keegan has gained weight. He has gotten bigger. He has gotten stronger um, since he was drafted back in July or June. Um, but, yeah, I I, I like the, pro- the progress that we're seeing. And I also like that he's answering some of the questions that we might've had. Like, can you be that guy? Is this who, are you going to let yourself be like the fifth option, sixth option on a team? Or do you still have that potential to become like a second, third option on on a good team? And I, I think he is starting to answer that, that question, at least from my point of view. And again, I, I like what Mike Brown did. I think he, you got to coach everybody the same in certain aspects. I just wrote this uh, for for the Kings beat, but, but at the same time, you have to treat everybody differently because everyone is different. You have to figure out ways to connect with different players in different ways. And I think Mike Brown is, is figuring out his team really well on the fly about how to connect with each of these individuals in different ways. And I, I think that's where having a, a group of good people in the locker room really does help.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, when it comes to to Keegan, like I was somebody that was really unsure about the pick, and a lot of it had to do with the ceiling. When you're talking about the fourth overall pick, and even including last night's game, 72.8 percent of his of his shots this year have come off zero dribbles. But last night, far and away, was the most that we've seen him put the ball on the floor. I, I think there's even been times this year where he picks up his dribble for seemingly no reason and is just trying to get it back to one of Fox or Domas. And we heard coach talk about it post game where it's like, if he's doing this more, then we're going to start running through him more. And that that obviously still needs to be seen in a larger sample last night, as of right now is still the outlier. Um, But it's encouraging that when he was challenged about the rebounds, that it wasn't a couple games that it's kept up. I I think we're at like seven or so at this point. And he's been a good rebounder since, and we haven't seen it fall off. Like if we can continue to see this growth, I, I think that the Chris Middleton, comparison that that Keegan has kind of thrown out himself starts to at least that looks more plausible to me last night because I, I still genuinely did have a lot of questions about what the ceiling of Keegan Murray is and I, I think a night like last night where he's putting the ball on the deck and showing more the playmaking is something that that James mentioned that Keegan talked about in post game he only had one assist but I thought it was a pretty encouraging one where um, they were trailing him and he put the ball on the deck and just made the right pass when when the help came So I think that's encouraging, but it's it's so good to see this sort of development from Keegan, because if this can continue, like it's just so different than anything we've seen this year. We've seen him mainly be a spot up guy that is asked to do a lot on defense, but kind of just coming off DHOs and never really putting the ball on the deck. And this was it was just huge development from Keegan. And it was crazy to me how much all of it happened in one game.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what's funny, too, is like I remember kind of wondering to myself is like, have I just not seen this many screens for Keegan encouraging him to just drive and penetrate? And maybe it's something that, um, that was within the thunder that, that they just saw something. Cause I, I felt like there was Domas or even, um, even herder at one point set a screen. I was kind of laughing at it, but it went around and I mean, he, he, he dribbled in there. Like he, he, I I ended up seeing more like dribble handoff and more, um, more pick and roll for him uh, than, I've, than I've probably noticed before where usually he just settles out on the perimeter. So um, I liked it. I think he can, I think he's fully capable of doing that. I think he can be a, a brilliant ISO player uh, just because of his size. Not that, not that they want to encourage too much ISO, but um, he can shoot over the top of basically anybody. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, an aggressiveness that we just hadn't seen a whole lot of, or maybe it was just me because um, I, I didn't I don't remember seeing that many pick and rolls for him. You know, I think the, the cool thing that we're looking at is that when a guy like
2: Keegan steps up and takes on a role like like he did last night, and, and I don't even mean as a scorer, specifically as a rebounder, what that does for the rest of the team is huge. Like, if, if he can be that type of rebounder, then... Harrison Barnes can go expend more of his energy on the defensive end, then De'Aaron Fox doesn't have to come back and rebound from the point guard position, which he's been great all season long, averaging around five rebounds a game, right? But if you can have that other guy in the starting lineup start taking on some of these things, then it it makes everything easier for the players around you. And like I, I think Trey Lyles was the first guy that stepped up and said, okay, I get it. I get the assignment. And I'm going to go hit the glass hard. And that started making things easier for guys like Malik Monk and started making things easier for for everyone, Shemezi Metu. Like, the game starts becoming simpler. And now we're seeing a guy in the starting lineup that's doing it. And so I want to see him do it for the next, you know, 40 games, 30-something games. He he still has to continue to grow and be better at it. Um, But, you know, we talked about this. Like again, seven games ago, he was averaging right around like three point six rebounds per game, and all of a sudden he's over five. Like I don't need him to be fourteen rebounds or thirteen rebounds or or the double double that yeah, he had uh, a back to back double doubles, right? But you do need him to be at six or at six and a half by by year three. You're hoping that he can be a guy who's right around maybe seven rebounds a game, maybe not that high, but you know six and a half, seven rebounds per game. And that's fine, but he can't be at three and a half. That's not going to function. That's not going to work. The the Kings can't function if that's where he's at. And so, yeah, I, I think it's really cool to see progress. And, and I think it's really cool to see progress in a season where we're seeing the team have this huge success, but within that huge success, you're starting to see individuals kind of figure it out. And, like, again, like I, I watch a ton of nba basketball i watch a ton of soccer and when you see a player like the light bulb go off and start to have like an epiphany for himself just the impact that that has on everyone else is tremendous and so it, it it's really cool to see
0: um, bonus mentioned it post game that like sometimes it just takes a couple games of doing it to realize oh i can do this in the nba and hopefully that's what we're seeing with keegan and i think it's also huge that like Barnes has been a really significant part of this team recently. And he had a quiet night. And there's a looming question of what happens with Harrison Barnes at the end of this offseason. And if Keegan Murray continues to develop, you feel a little bit like that just goes over easier. You you can relax a little bit more. I know you need more wings, but Keegan's development is so is so big just for the long term projection of this team, even beyond this year.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And if his brother's available when the Kings are drafting, I'm selecting him. Just so you know. I go full go full Murray. Oh stop. Murray's everywhere. Just just draft them all and then trade for anyone with a last name Murray. Like just go full Murray. So Ooh. add uh, Lamon
1: Murray to your coaching staff. There we go. There bring, we go. bring in F. Murray Abraham. Just to, <laughs> is your I don't know, I'm thinking all these Murray's. <laughs> know your Murray's. Yeah, Bill Murray.
2: Uh just bring them all yeah. in. I don't care if it's with an A or or without an A or yeah, just bring them all in. Um, H. All. Yeah. yeah. There we go. There we go. Um yeah, I, I mean I think we're looking at the Kings at uh where they're at in the standings, but I don't think any of us are like convinced that they're gonna be the three seed in the Western Conference. Um but are your thoughts changing on where this team can be um, specifically, when you look at the development of a guy like Murray, where all of a sudden, like, okay, you look like a different team if that's who Keegan Murray's going to be for the rest of the season, uh, you know. And that, you know, we just saw this this incredible run from Harrison Barnes, where in the month of January, he's just been absolutely spectacular. Um, but like, are you guys buying some of what we're seeing as like who the Kings can be?
1: I'll, I'll say this, like I know Brendan started off saying that um, he's a little bit not, he's not so confident that they're going to be stay at three. And I, I mean, I don't think I am either. Um, and we've talked about just how cluttered the West is. Um, and, but I, I'm, i I do side more with Brendan on this to a degree. I think what's, what's super, what's super great um, for where they're positioned right now is the. Even though they're jumbled, you've finally reached five games. Five games now separate where the Kings are from being out of the play-in tournament, so 11. Um, I think th- if you're at five games at that point, that's a lot to overcome. That's a, that's a big tumble to, to fall that far down the leaderboard. So I, I think what we've seen now is, in my opinion, that they've locked themselves in. Like this is This is who they are, but can they stay above seven? And and I think that's the bigger question, because seven to me, uh, look, I didn't expect them to be in in the sixth seed, but certainly in the mix for a play-in tournament. I just don't want to see some of the stuff that's happened with this team and then fall down to seven. I think it might happen at some point in this season, but now it has to be you hopefully can keep your head above water. And that that baseline now is seven, because if, you know, play-in tournament, again – historically a 7th seed and 8th seed locked you into the playoffs but it doesn't do that anymore it now becomes a play in tournament so you could conceivably finish 7th and then not make the postseason and after, if you get bounced from the from the from the postseason tournament so it's uh that, to me now, I think the, the expectations have changed, and I, I think that's okay um, because while this team may have had a goal for playoffs, and that's great, and I think most people have thought that they'd be in the mix for a play-in tournament, that's great too. I think it is okay to change your expectations now um, because you've hit five games, and five games keep you in the postseason somehow, some way, and I, I think they've done that.
0: Agreed. They need to do everything they can to stay six and above. Like, the play-in is, is horrifying, Like in basketball, it's not the best team wins every night. Like you could have an off night and no pun intended and in one or two games is all it takes where you're not shooting well, which we've seen this team have more often than I expected throughout the course of this year. Um, And and then all of a sudden you're not in the postseason, which is a very grim uh, possible reality for this team. So I I think that with each passing game, like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm believing more and more that this team is what it is, but it's really going to take continued progress on the defensive end like it'd be great to see keegan murray keep this up like i said as of right now last night's the outlier so hopefully he can keep it up tonight and moving forward but it's got to be progress on the defensive end coach brown mentioned it post game that if they can continue to progress from their 24th in defensive rating right now that they could be a really good team but I still think night in and night out they're good enough offensively to beat any team, but they're bad enough defensively to lose to any team. So I, I still think there's a lot of progress to, that needs to be made. But I'm believing a lot more. They're they're even four games above the six seed. You know they're kind of in this three, four, five tier right now with with New Orleans and Dallas in there as well. And I mean I. Found myself last night thinking, like, oh, well, if they win this game against Memphis, like they start sneaking up on the two seed, like, which is a crazy conversation. <laughs> they and moved I, it
2: within four and a half last night.
0: Yeah. Which, which says so that's much about the progress that's, of the team. That, I don't that, think that's, so that's, either. That's not happening. But the fact that I can, like, even think about it, I think says a lot, you know? That's funny. Uh, I, yeah. I, I like
1: it. That, I mean, think about it though. Like, we make mention mention the, the win streaks. And yeah, if you can match a seven game win streak with a win over Philly, I mean, that would, That'd be pretty incredible. But the last time they had two straight, two six game winning streaks is 02 They won 59 games that year. You know, certainly hmm. I don't think anyone's picking them to win 59 games this year. But <laughs> point being is, is like, these are these like benchmarks. Every single night we're looking at stuff like this is the first time they've done this since that. Since that, I mean, that's just how it is when you have had no success. And uh, now you get just a little bit of a taste of it and you're only in January. Um, This is these are these like little benchmarks for the team that good for them. You know, this is really this is it's encouraging and it's headed in the right direction. But it can it's fragile because it can fall apart rather quickly. Um, And I think, you know, people are just have to keep that in mind. But I think now they've bottom line is I think now they've distanced themselves to being able to fall too far out of the standings to where, you know, you're not in that conversation anymore. I I don't, you know, knock on wood. I just don't think that this team is falling beyond 11.
2: Yeah, I I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. Uh, like it there's still a lot of season to go and we cannot I think everyone understands if Sabonis goes down for 3 weeks or for a month or for 2 months um you know, we're seeing what's happening with the the Phoenix Suns with without Devin Booker. And I mean that it's just catastrophic how far they've fallen. Um so yeah, I, I think it's interesting I, I don't want to like buy in 100% on where exactly this team will finish at the end of the year. Like, I I don't want to like put a number on it because we keep looking at this, but I will say like, we talked a lot about this nine game stretch and what would they do in the nine game stretch? And they come out and they drop two right away. And you're like, Oh boy, like this was the moment, right? This was a moment where you could build capital. You could get some like blow apart the four games over 500. And sure enough, they go seven and two it's like this was the moment where you're like, okay, are they real or are they not? Can they, can they take advantage of a soft spot in the schedule and build equity and, and find themselves in a much better situation? And sure enough, they did. And so, yeah, like I I think when I say, I don't want to say who I believe they can be. I think I want to like reserve that for both ways. Like I, I think that they could fall back, but I also think that they could keep pushing because Again, I'm not sure. They look what, like what Sean said a professional team that shows up each and every night. And like we saw, it was just last year where Alvin Gentry took over a team, uh, a Philadelphia 76ers team that was missing five starters and the Kings got their ass kicked. That was just last year. So, who are you tonight when you're riding a six game win streak? You have a completely sold-out building. Like tonight was, it was standing room only coming into last night for for Saturday's game. So, like, if you're going to be at the game tonight, there will be 18,000 people in the building. Um, like, who are you? Who? How do you show up when you know if they? What happens if they sit Harden and they sit Embiid? You got to pound that team. You got to show them that you can't sit players against the Sacramento Kings anymore. And I think these are moments where, like, as much as last night was a huge win you can't let off and just excuse somebody who wants to rest a bunch of players. That doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, I think it's interesting that, uh, um, you know, they're in this situation and then we get to talk about it in this situation where, you know, they're, they're sort of defying, uh, like what our logic would be for them every step of the way.
0: How different is this for you guys that have covered the team for so long? And now that it's 16 years, like how different is this year for you guys?
1: quite a bit <laughs> just <laughs> just the fact that it's it's not even the winning like I'll, I'll take it aside like it's it's you could be two games over 500 that's drastic you know like just being relevant having a relevant team in Sacramento and and I'll you know I usually don't like going this route um because I tend to kind of you know douse anybody who who says oh we don't get the love from the national media it's like you don't deserve it you know right now you do and and that's why i said in the last podcast like you're gonna probably have two games minimum that are that are flexed to tnt or espn because this team deserves it they play a fun brand of basketball every game's coming down to the wire um you know, it's, 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 they're on the uh, league pass alerts all the time. And I, I, I truly think once you and now you're up to third in the West, like you can't just, this isn't cute anymore. This is like a for real thing. So, um, I, I think you will start to see it. Uh, you've got two guys that are playing like all-stars on your team and you've got a coach that, that is well known throughout this league. So, um, you know there's nothing that's just unknown about the kings anymore and and or this like they're doing it out in the shadows and just oh that's cute they're doing it in sacramento let's see what let's see what march looks like can't say that now you know they even if you go back to the jaeger year where they were competing with memphis for the eighth seed and before they kind of blew that up um you weren't nearly as relevant as you are now and I'm taking that to a point of like you don't have to be eight games over 500 like you are now they could be rewind a little while ago where you're just like three games over 500 even two games over 500 you're more relevant then than you were or now than you were then uh, under that team because you only had you know basically one one star athlete one all-star player if you will and uh it wasn't a fun it wasn't you had the scores but it wasn't really the it, like it is now. Like this is a well-oiled machine. Like this is an efficient offense. That one was one that was just solely predicated upon speed. The ball, the way the ball moves in this offense is so much better than anything you saw in that Dave Yeager system. So uh, this, re- I, again, I think this is a relevant basketball team and I, I am starting to shame now local or national media who don't really give it any shine because, uh, What else are they watching? Like, this is one of the most exciting teams in the league right now.
2: Yeah. I'll say this too. Uh, Like I keep tracking. So the Kings are at five ninety one win percentage right now, which equates to like 48 and a half wins. Now I don't remember the last time the third seed in the Western conference only needed 48 and a half wins. Like they need to like, that's where I'm still being realistic. Like, you know, there are times where I, the one year where Phoenix won 48 games and didn't get into the the playoffs. They didn't make the top eight. So, I mean, that's to me, it's it's crazy that like where the West is right now. That's why we keep saying that like the West is like jumbled up and weird. It's because no one is pacing. They're, they're two teams pacing to win 50 games. That's unheard of. So that's where the Kings are going to have to take. A monumental, mental leap forward from where they are today, in order to show that they're going to be one of those teams. Um, but to more answer your question, Brendan, um, this is crazy. Like, like this is my 13th season covering the team. I've the Dave Yeager year was 39 and 43. The only other season that was above 31 wins was George Carl's year where they won 33. So to put that in perspective, that means that in 10 of the years that I've covered this team, I've had to write 50 or more losing game recaps. So like 50, that is crazy. Like that's not fun. Like even the George Carl year, that's 49 losses. So the where the Kings are at right now versus where they have been like any other point, is crazy because they're four games away from their win total from last year. They're five wins away from their win total the previous two years before that. They're, they're right there, they're already there and they have so many games remaining. And so you're kind of like at a loss for what you're seeing. And I don't know, like it, it's hard not to just write positive pieces all the time at, because like there is not a lot of reason to be negative about what's happening. And that's where I, I kind of wonder like going back to all those positive years where the Kings were winning, you know, 50 and then 60 games. Um, like how did a lean voice on find so many negative things to write about? Like, I, I don't know because I don't see a bunch of negative things to write about. And you know, this team, they could win, they could win 48. They could win 50. They also could win 44 and or 43 and, and be a team that makes the playoffs. But still isn't like a top tier. Um, you, you don't know at this point, but yeah. I, I think it's pretty it's pretty wild to be in this situation. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it changes everything for this team. Like I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but like this could change how free agents look at this team or or people that are requesting trades, like being looking at Sacramento and thinking that like maybe that's a place I wanna go. And I don't know that that's ever existed before. Again, I'm probably getting ahead of myself. They need to keep on sustaining this, but like we're living through the the kind of narrative changing, and I, I think that changes in in everyone's mind. The different players in the league, um, coaches that maybe want to come onto a staff, and it, it's it, it's just it's great to witness.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay. So if you're still watching on YouTube, um, give us a thumbs up if you don't mind. Uh, that helps the algorithm. We have like 143 people in here right now. Uh, I'm guessing that it's gone up and down and varied all day, and like all kinds of people in here. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us here today on the King's Beat. Uh, we're doing a quick live show. Uh, if you have questions, start to dump them in the uh, the comment section. Uh, we'll get to questions here in a few minutes. Uh, uh, Brennan, do you have factor cap today?
1: I do not. Oh, I, can, uh, I, I can. I thought I could think can, of one. I can tell you that uh, I was at someone speculated that if Modelo to my to eight hundred five. I like both of them, but I actually am not really the biggest beer guy. So I did have a Modelo last night, though. Confirmed. I I don't love beer either,
2: um, but the, the well, beers I, like I do beer.
1: like beer. I just don't. Yeah. It's
2: just, I have. I, uh, I usually go somewhere else. I have Newcastle and Shock Top on tap here at the house. Um, but it's more for guests and it's funny because it's more for guests, but I buy beers that I like. So, you know, my guests have to suck it up and, and drink the Newcastle
0: or, uh, or shucked up. Uh, I have one. Goes. All right. I have the one. Beer? Oh, no, okay. I wish maybe later tonight. Um, factor cap Keegan Murray will make first team. Was it all rookie? Is that the right word? Oh, fact. I think I have that wording, right?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean that's not a question because he's that's, already yeah, gonna happen. Yeah, he's already uh, won a rookie, a Western Conference Rookie of the Month. Uh, he'll win the Western Conference Rookie of the Month for January without any question. It's funny, a lot of the the stellar rookies are in the Eastern Conference, um, so he doesn't really have a lot of competition for the Western Conference Rookie of the Month. But um, I, I think he's like a shoe in. I also think he'll finish either second or third in, in rookie of the year balloting behind uh, Paolo and then maybe uh, Benedict Matherin. Yeah.
1: Sean. Yeah, no, I think it's fact. He'll, I don't think it's uh it, he's definitely part of the top five rookies in the, in the league. And uh, positionally, I think it works out nicely for him. So simple fact of just what he's doing f- with three point shooting right now is, is incredible. So, uh, I think even if he wasn't showing this progress in other areas of his game, I think he's definitely in there by virtue of three-point shooting alone. Um, he's got he's got solid numbers on a winning basketball team, uh, and I, I can't see anybody holding him out of that.
2: Yeah, I'll add this too, Brendan. Um, Mike Brown brought it up again last night, and he, he's brought it up in the past, but the fact that Keegan has to do what he's doing on a good team is so much different than what Paolo has to do or or Jaden Ivey or uh Jabari Smith. Like they don't have any pressure and they get to make all kinds of stupid mistakes. And it's not even just like the big mistakes like turning the ball over too much, um, or or fouling too much and getting knocked out of the game. Like they have to actually play functional basketball. They have to like he has to. Or they don't. He does he has to know his rotations on the defensive end because he's got a bunch of veterans who are yelling at him if he doesn't. And the other guys, they get to make mistakes on both ends of the court for 30 minutes a game, whatever they're in the game. And it doesn't matter. Like their impact on the game doesn't truly matter because wins and losses don't matter for most of those teams. And so for him, I think it's, uh, I want to spotlight that too, because there's a lot more pressure when you're playing for a winning team and a team with aspirations and team with focus and, and, and goals um, than when you're just playing for, you know, the Orlando magic or, or the Detroit Pistons who don't care about winning at all. Or uh, I, I guess Matherin on the Indiana Pacers, you could say, yeah, the Pacers are a good team when, when uh, Tyrese is healthy, but Matherin's also coming off the bench. Like there's, that's a whole nother layer of like how much easier that is than starting and having to make adjustments as a young player to not be a star anymore and to be the fourth or fifth option on a team. All of these things are things that Keegan's had to learn during the course of this season that I don't think uh, any of these other guys are, are actually taking into consideration, um, which is weird because I've watched so many other rookies come into Sacramento who are the same as Paolo or the same as Jaden Ivey. They get to make all of the errors that they, they can because it doesn't really matter um, because that's how the franchise has been for you know almost a decade and a half or more. So.
1: There's a there was a question about um, I think Stephen asked uh, could the Kings first of all no use for the, no need for the apostrophe there but could the Kings get both uh, Herter and Keegan in the three point shootout I've actually <clears throat> I've actually wondered about that Keegan for sure no um, I don't think that that would happen but I was wondering about Herter, and the the trouble there guys is that he doesn't uh, I mean Herter's at least in the top 20 of three pointers made he's 17th. Um, I still think they'll try to, they'll have some bigger names, uh, to choose from, but I just, uh, Keegan just doesn't have the, he's, he's 30th right now. So, uh, I think they usually go by the top shooters in the league when they do that. And I just, I think those guys are going to fall short, but I was kind of wondering the same thing. I thought maybe it might be cool to see Herter in that.
2: I did. Uh, I was in the locker room when Herter was asked whether he would like to be in the three point shootout. And he was like, oh yeah, I would do it any day oh, of the week. Love it. Yeah. And Malik Monk would also – said he would also love to be in the, the slam dunk contest. Um, you know, and if they're going to bring up a G-leaguer to, to <laughs> perform in the slam dunk contest, uh, I, I would think that Malik Monk would be a guy. But you're not just going to load up the whole all-star game with, with Sacramento Kings. The one reason I do think that Keegan would have an outside shot is uh, two reasons, I guess. Number one, he'll be there already. So he's going to be there for the rookie – uh, sophomore game uh, almost assuredly right and then on top of that he is I, I think it's the second fastest uh to 103 point shots in NBA history behind Luka and it was only correct. by a game no behind Lori right? Markkinen no is it Lori? oh no now he's yeah, tied was... with Luka for second correct um but yeah behind Lori Markkinen
1: I'll say I I think usually you don't see a rookie in the three point shootout anyway, so I think that's going to be, yeah, it's usually more for uh, more established players. But yeah, plus I mean again, it's going to go off of your top. You base all you have to look at your three point leaders, and you go from your top ten, and you start working your way down and find out find if guys will do it and yeah herder would love to do it i actually think another little nice little wrinkle for all-star weekend by the way since you mentioned the dunk contest did you guys see what uh aaron gordon from denver if he yes. said if he gets in as a reserve he would love to do the dunk contest oh that's a, a way for him to not try won. to get in as a reserve. Right. well yeah but it's also like um i'd love to see him back in the dunk contest because he is absolutely sensational dunker
0: yeah I hope yes. Dwayne so Wade can is uh, judge again.
1: I, I think in the next week or so we can probably build our own All Star rosters and uh, compare and contrast. But uh, I think he's making some noise. Uh, I don't think he gets it. I think he'd be on the outside. But <clears throat> it'd be interesting to see what a week from now looks like.
2: Yeah, uh, and I don't. I don't know. What if if Malone is the
1: coach of the All Star game? Does he get some say? He can camp- he can campaign just like Mike Brown can and try to encourage other coaches to vote his guy in um, but he'll probably I'll say probably because you know I think the separation between Memphis right now and Denver who Denver sits atop it's still pretty close right like it's game and a half yeah game and a half right now so uh, as long as they hold on to that top seed I think that will factor more so than anything else. Uh, okay let's take this
2: question uh, from Mark Robertson. Uh, do you think Keegan would average as much as Paolo? Uh, I- I'm not sure why you want less Barnes shooting and more Keegan, but uh, I don't know. What do you guys yeah, think? Yeah, that's, that's weird.
1: So, uh, wait. Would average.
2: he average as much? I think if you swapped spots, would Keegan average as much as Paolo?
1: No. What's, what's the differential right now?
0: Uh, Paolo is at 20.8, and Keegan is at 12.1. I mean, I think Paulo was like a guy that you ran everything through in college already, and Keegan more so like got his shots within the flow of the offense. I I think that they're just so different that I
1: personally can't
0: see it. Sean?
1: I'd agree with that. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I I think just as an imposing force as Paulo is, they're so different that even if you – just put Keegan Murray on Orlando and put, and and put Paolo on a different team or just say he doesn't exist anymore. I, I don't see them utilizing him the same way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think
2: I've... Keegan could be averaging 18 a game, but Paolo came into the league. Like we talked about like NBA ready. Like there's a difference between NBA ready and NBA ready to be a leading scorer for a team. And I think Paolo was always going to be given that opportunity no matter what, uh, because that's who he was like, like, I, I thought Paolo would average 20 a game as a rookie. Like, and I also, like, he was my the, he was my odds-on favorite to be the rookie of the year well before the draft, and, the, you know, like, I, I thought he would, <laughs> without any question, but that doesn't mean I think he'll be the best player in the draft. I don't know if he'll be the best player or not. Like, five years from now, like, there could be, like, a handful of players that are better than Paolo, but I think Paolo will be a 20-point-per-game score for his career. And without any question and and a leading scorer on on a team whether that's a good team or not who knows but um yeah I I had no questions I thought Paolo would be a stud coming into the league um just you know and I watched him play at like the final four like he's just a huge dude and he's got like an NBA ready body and an NBA ready game um but again like two years down the road three years down the road can Mathurin be better can Keegan be better can Jaden Ivey be better um, can Chet be better yeah I think there are all kinds of possibilities Dyson Daniels like there are all kinds of possibilities for who's like a better more impactful player on your team
0: um, Mark in the chat mentioned like so if he got more shots like last night talking about Keegan he wouldn't average 20 I think it's important to point out like 10 of 12 from the field should not be expected like that's a great night <laughs> from Keegan um yeah but what do you what do you guys expect from Keegan tonight like do you think that coach will run some plays from him to try to keep this up or or how do you expect him to follow up last night's performance
1: I would I would say Philly's different man I guess it depends on what the personnel's looking like but if I'm if I'm Mike Brown I'm wanting to keep the momentum rolling I mean, he's got two straight double-doubles. He's He, he, he plays a, a little bit different than when Sabonis is on the floor. Obviously, he's going to have Sabonis tonight with him again, and that's why um, seeing him do what he did against L.A. and then seeing what he did against Oklahoma City, that was one of my questions to everyone, or at least to Mike Brown after the game, which is like, you know, how different is it when you've got – you go out and get a double-double with Sabonis and then double-double without Sabonis. Um, the way the rebounding is, the way the shooting is, the way the opportunities are – Uh, you know, I, I feel like you're going to want to keep some of that momentum going. And I think Mike Brown's going to try to position him well to do that. Plus, I also think really Damana Sabonis realizes that and and is, is cognizant of, of, of doing that and keeping his spirits high and keeping him engaged. Um, and I I also, I think it does. I just want to point out too, like how fragile these things are. I don't know why the Kings tried to give that game away last night. (laughs) Because they were doing everything in their power to do so. But what the, that would, we would have an entirely, entirely different conversation if they had pissed that one away like they tried to do.
2: Yeah, it's very true. Um, As far as Keegan, like the way this team is built, I don't think it matters. Like whether Keegan is going to have a big night or not, whether you focus on him or not. I think the one good thing is that he just learned last night that he can go into a game and out rebound Sabonis. And to me, like the fact that you can go out there, that there is 14 rebounds when Sabonis has 13, there's still 14 rebounds that he can go get as a starter. That to me was a big, big thing for Keegan to learn. Um, So I'll just point to Harrison Barnes being like uh, the four or five previous games was just a flamethrower. I mean, he was like the four games coming in to when he lost out to Sabonis for player of the week. He's averaging like sixty-seven. Oh, yeah, sixty-six point seven percent from the field, sixty-four point three percent from three. You didn't focus on him and try to get him more shots. That's that's not who this team is. So this team is very specifically whoever's riding. You ride the hot hand. You got Fox. You got Sabonis. And then whether it's Herder or Barnes or Murray or Monk, it doesn't matter. Whoever steps up and wants to be the player that night, they're allowed to do it. And the the teammates. Uh, seem to be unselfish and willing to feed them that's what it kind of feels like to me if that makes sense
0: absolutely hopefully keegan can keep it up i will say i'm curious to see what the first game this year will be uh where we get like the beam chance and then they lose the game because last night felt a little close and sometimes it's a little ballsy <laughs> uh how early they're they're doing some of these the players have pointed out i think domas said in post game last night that uh maybe the the crowd started a little early but I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not jinxing it, but at some point, we will get a light the beam chant that uh, doesn't end in a win. In my mind, yeah, it's
2: possible. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Like,
0: like Sean and I, we've covered a lot of
2: games, and like the, it was really sad to me how the crowds had died down over the last couple of years. Uh, Of course, we had the year where there were no fans, but then after that, there were like I don't know, eight thousand fans, nine thousand fans, sometimes less. uh, Last season and. Uh, it was a bummer. It, for me, I love seeing a packed house. Uh, the The energy that it brings, it it helps you write faster. Uh, you're sitting there just flowing. Like it, it makes the game funner for everyone in the building.
1: Wait, it helps you write faster. What yeah, the, this isn't about you. <laughs>
2: no, it's not about me. But I, I, I like, I enjoy. The, like it brings more energy to the building and brings more energy to me. Like it, it really sucks when you're writing a game recap at halftime. Because you already know well, what just happened. Yeah, well. And all you got to do is fill, fill in the final stats. Done done. plenty of those. Uh, Yeah, I've done a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, I Like even this year, I've been reluctant to write uh, secondary intros and, and like closings. Like where the Kings win or the Kings lose. Like just because it doesn't feel like they're going to most of the nights. Or, or it doesn't feel like they're going to be able to come back in sp- sp- specific games. I, I kind of... You get a feel for what this team is going to do on a nightly basis. At least I feel like that. Um, not before the game, but during the game, you get that feel pretty quickly. Uh, do we have any more questions? Um, I, oh, yeah, I, I wanted to ask this one um, from Digital Henry. Do you think Holmes should have played last night after his previous performance?
1: No, I don't. Brendan? I do.
0: Also, quite a picture by Henry there, by the way. Um, oh, what was it? Can I see that again? Wow.
1: Glad Great shot. picture. It's yeah. a striking yeah. man, Michael Henry. <laughs> Good for you. Digital Henry's uh, a good-looking man. Why, <laughs> why those not, who are listening John. on audio? <laughs> <laughs> Good jawline. All that. Good. <laughs> um, no, I I don't. And I think that it had more to do with Oklahoma City. I mean, especially – I mean, it went small a lot. You had a lot of three-guard lineups uh, for Sacramento, so – Um, I I thought it was okay. I feel like Rashawn Holmes will be needed tonight, uh, against Philly and Rashawn Holmes will be needed at stretches during this three games and four nights. So, um, yeah, I was okay with him not playing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think it kind of goes back to like Casey, Akpala. Casey, starting the first three games of the season when he wasn't going to be a starter anymore. That didn't mean he was going to be in the rotation. You know Terrence Davis starts one night, scores twenty two points, doesn't play, uh, or plays four minutes the next night, and then a DMP or two DMPs in back to back games, and that's the way it goes. Like the secondary, the starting rotation is is set. Uh, when someone fills in, they're just filling in. Um, and right now, I think um, that Chemezi has earned a second a second chance to be the backup center, at least for a short term. Um, plus the Kings like showed everybody that Rashawn Holmes can still be really good as a pick and roll player. And then you can go ahead and sit him on the bench and hope uh, uh, to make sure that nothing happens to him and see if you can trade him between now and the, and the trade deadline. Um, I want to bring up one last topic and we're not going to do a business of basketball today on it. Um, but, uh, what do you guys think about the issue with, um, uh, Malik Monk? Malik Monk realistically has had a brutal like six weeks and like, how do brutal, you
1: fix it? Brutal. Yes. I, I think he's, I think he's, he's struggled to shoot. Sure. I'll give you that. But I actually liked his energy last night. My problem with Malik Monk gets to the, be the point where I get pissed if he's turning the ball over. We know he's, a, he, that he, he's going to have some turnovers, but uh, a lot of his turnovers are so bad. Um, the offensive foul last night was a bad one. Uh, that one comes to mind, but I I don't mind. I mean, again, it's his DNA. He's he's he has been a streaky shooter throughout his career. Why should he change now? Uh, he's going through it. I think if you talk to him, he'll tell you that. Um, but to me, it's 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 only for, like he impacts the game where he can rebound. He's a great. He's a really solid playmaker. Um, defensively, he's bringing it. I, I, I just. If he can snap out of the shooting st- shooting slump, I think you're looking at a different player. But, again, it's more than just scoring and shooting. Um, he's asked to play a little bit different things for him, and especially his playmaking. As long as his playmaking is there, he rebounds well at his position, I don't think it's catastrophic. Um, I just need to see him sink some shots. Brendan.
0: Yeah, I mean, month of January, nine games played, 8.7 points, 3.8 assists is still nice with three rebounds as well, but there's also 1.6 turnovers, and that's in 18 minutes a night, and 32% from the field, from the field, 25% from three. Um, I will say to Sean's point, like, you know, last night he still had five assists in his 16 minutes. I know he only scored five points, um, and and there's two turnovers in there as well. Like, Malik Monk has had games this year where he just straight up wins the Kings games, um, I think of that second game against Denver, if I'm remembering correctly. I think it was mm-hmm. his 33-point performance. He was phenomenal. And I don't know that there's a game that I can look at this year and say Malik really lost them this one. I, I think when he doesn't have it, you don't see him forcing too often. Like he He had some really nice passes yesterday. And Coach will recognize what guys do and do not need to be out there. And Malik only played 16 minutes. And Malik doesn't seem like the type of guy to have an issue with that. You know, so I think that says a lot. Obviously, you want Malik to be better. He has been underwhelming recently, especially after you get a taste of, like, knowing what he can do. Um, But I don't ever feel like he's going out there and, like, doing too much uh, necessarily. Like, I I think sometimes shots aren't falling, but he's still kind of playing within his role. And and the biggest thing is I don't know that he's going out there and, like, losing that many games even in this stretch. Okay, so...
2: Like, you brought up, what, the nine games in January, right? Is that how many it is? Yeah. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, Yeah, maybe nine or ten, whatever it is. In his last 21 games, since the first week of December, he's averaging 11.7 points on 36% from the field and 25% from three. And he's got a 3.4 assist to two turnover ratio in just 22 minutes. Like, He's shooting 36% from the field for 21 games. That's not like a blip. And you can pull up. There's a 24-point game. There's a 33-point game. Like He's had some big nights. That means that those other games are, are really, really not very good. So I, I don't know. They need to figure out what's going on with him. Um, I don't know if there's – it is. Like someone brings up the Band-Aid. It kind of feels like since the Band-Aid, what? like since he pulled off the Band-Aid, uh, he's just been – Everyday, normal Malik, uh, you know, and so he's got to figure it out because the Kings need that push. I-, I saw the same thing you saw last night, Sean, where he brought in, he came in, he was making plays, he had all this energy, and you're like, holy cow, look at him go. And then I look up and he's one of six from the field and he's got turnovers and you're like, ooh, you know, like it started out good. The rebounds, the the big rebounds that he's got in for, that's great, but there does come a point where you do have to hit shots. And, like, I, I, if I'm the Kings, I would be pretty concerned. It seems like since we all wrote, like, positive pieces about Malik Monk, it's been, like, a, a really, really, like, sl- a big slide since then. Um, okay. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Um, let's, let's get to final thoughts. Uh, Brandon, what do you got for final thoughts?
0: If Jimmy G is healthy and available, just roll with Brock Purdy. If you are getting far enough in the playoffs there's no reason to bring jimmy back if purdy's
1: taking you that far just roll with it
0: yeah was that kind of strange to you too sean that
2: they that they even brought that up
1: uh no i mean i mean i still guess you're gonna team, get asked a question room. right yeah, yeah. um it, i i look they're not gonna jimmy g won't be there it's just not gonna happen you're 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 riding a <laughs> 11 game lose uh, winning streak into this divisional playoff game. So looking very much, looking forward to that on Sunday, I've got uh, a very busy schedule ahead. Um, so what was me <laughs> first world? You're going to be, I will say you're
2: going to be there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and we'll be following the We'll be everywhere with the Niners um, going forward, wherever they end up going. So um, that'll be fun. I also think that, uh, yes, it is almost Rihanna time. Lizy Uh, I wait to see my, well, I got a surprise for next week. Let's just put it that way. Oh, yeah. I got a surprise for next week. Also, um, what was I going to say? Oh, you know what? I know something to gripe about. Pay attention, Brendan, when (laughs) you show up to the arena today and the Philadelphia 76ers have completely occupied the entire freaking baseline, bringing like all their medical crap and stretchers and massage tables all the way out there it's uh it's something to behold man they roll deep (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's just unbelievable how how much uh room that that team takes up on the baseline there before a game is that a coaching staff
0: thing or like I have oh, no idea, bro. Training staff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and, that hasn't and, like know, followed Rivers around with the Clippers or anything. That's just been a Philly no, thing. No,
1: no. I remember like like you would see Embiid on a massage table getting massaged outside on the by the freaking court, man. Like you don't need to do that. You've got a <laughs> training room, in the locker room. Maybe the visuals are better, and you want people well, that... to see you get rubbed down. I don't. I don't know. That's kind of weird to me. But it's pretty. It's dude. It's weird. Maybe maybe in, this year has changed. I don't know, but it's very strange.
2: They put in the uh, a weight room too for for the visiting yeah. team. No, like it, got it's all, hidden way in the that. back. But
1: all the amenities, yeah. and yet yet the this team more so than others will take up <laughs> the entire baseline to tend to their players and do all their activities just out on the court. So uh, maybe that's different this year. Philly only comes to Sacramento once, and I haven't been to any philly warrior games so uh we'll, we'll see what the sixers do it, it's interesting just, in, in previous seasons i'm always just amazed like just put this anywhere what are we doing here like you've got <laughs> all these amenities in in the back and you have to do it all right here it's funny
2: i i forgot that dave yeager will be in the building tonight uh um, yes he will yeah i i haven't reached out to dave i haven't talked to him in a little while um but he's got his health is better and and so that's good to see um, so that's your final thoughts. Uh, Sean, I, the wife, uh, somehow landed, um, Madonna tickets.
1: Oh, so we're going to Madonna at Chase you're, Center. You're going to Madonna. I, I was a little surprised, not surprised. That's the wrong word. I was, uh, hoping that she'd come through Sacramento. Um, yeah. A little I've bonked. never seen her. Never seen her. Someone wanted my, earlier in the chat, wanted a contra a concert recaps. I haven't been to a concert in a while, so. My yes. next concert hopefully won't be Bottle Rock. It will be. I mean, I will be at Bottle Rock for three days, but I hope to go to some concerts before that. And hopefully, yeah, we one have... of them is uh, sing the Queen Rihanna at Super oh. Bowl at halftime. That would be a great one.
2: Oh, see, Sean's gonna try to like wander around the belly of the the stadium <laughs> looking for Rihanna's like area. No, Good I'm for not you, going Sean. Stocking? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I think we have Ed Sharon tickets too. Like at Allegiance, uh, Allegiance. Like oh, Allegiance
1: Stadium in Vegas. Yeah.
2: Yeah, in Vegas, like the stadium tour he's doing. Um, we have friends that like to go to concerts with us. That's not close. to like September though, right? Yeah, and Madonna's not until October.
1: Oh wow, it's way yeah. out there.
2: Yeah. So, all right. Uh. Well, I, I think that's gonna do. It. I don't think I have any other final thoughts. Cody, um,
1: Cody what do you think? My thoughts are uh Oh, Cody, Cody. Cody asking deserves. me what my thoughts are. <laughs> Beyonce is way better than Rihanna. Can both can be both can exist in their own worlds and have their own greatness. Like, what are we doing? This doesn't have to be a comparison. <laughs> I agree, Sean. I yeah. agree. And the PS Five is is great. So it's. Uh, <laughs> I I've been asked that a few times. PS Five is working out well. Um,
2: Devin, we don't have uh, a Kings Beat guest yet for locked in yet for Thursday, but uh. We'll have something to announce this week. So, um, yeah, we'll figure that one out. Um, Okay. Uh, That's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. We've got to close up shop and get out to a game to go cover the Philadelphia 76ers and the Sacramento Kings. Kings going for their seventh straight win, uh, their 27th win on the season, trying to go nine games over five hundred for the first time since the game of basketball was invented. Um, Not really but uh, since 2004, oh, 2005, right? Uh, so it should be a fun atmosphere. Uh, if you guys are there, uh, feel free to drop by and say hi to Sean and Brennan and, uh, and I at the game. Uh, awesome. you got to kind of wave at us and <laughs> no yell. No need for that. Uh, if you bring us ice cream, that would be fine. We would probably accept it. Uh, I am busy, Sean says. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that's going to do it. Buy
1: me a drink at some establishment later. You don't have to do it while I'm working. At like 2 (laughs)
2: a.m. That's awesome. Uh, All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Give us a thumbs up on the way out the door for Fox 40's Sean Cunningham and Miranda Nudez from the Kings Pulse Podcast. I'm James Hamby, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. See you next week.